involved week in and week out in our service, from singing to uh, Michael and sound and, and Melissa doing our slides. So each week they serve, and I want to just say thank you all for serving the way that you do, as well as those that take part in, in serving in the nursery and children's church. Thank you. Thank you for loving our church and using your gifts to serve our church body. With that, <laughs> so, with, we come this morning to gather around Psalm 1. Uh, the next two weeks, we're going to pause and, and just spend some time in Psalm 1 this week and Psalm 19 next week. Part of this is just this time of year, as you look around, is always scarce in the church. I never want to start a sermon series in the midst of holidays and travels, uh, so we're going to wait until the second week of January and dive into the book of Jonah. But uh, this week we'll look at Psalm 1, which is a rich psalm, and then next week a Psalm 19, and looking at the heaven declaring the glory of God above. Uh, but as we set up for Psalm 1, think about all the Disney movies. How many of these Disney movies end with a happy ever after, the happy ending. How many of them, uh, we love them because of that. Even the dark movies of, of thinking of something like The Lion King with Mufasa dying, and it still ends happy ever after with Simba taking his father's place on Pride Rock, or, or Pinocchio, even in the darkest scenes and the most twisted of that. What happens? If happily ever after in Pinocchio ended up as a real boy, with his father, Petta. All of these have happily ever after. And there's something we crave about this happy ending, living happily ever after. But have you ever thought about that? What is actual happiness? What is lasting happiness? These make us feel good. These make us long for those. But what is truly happily ever after? Is it us getting the, the rich job we want to, to have the fancy house? Is it having all the things and, and pleasures of this world? No. You look at suicide rate, who are, who are some of those most susceptible? Is it not celebrities? Who chase everything in the world thinking it's going to fill them? And it falls short. Brothers and sisters, as we gather this morning in Psalm 1, I hope to show us what truly blessed happiness that's eternal, that last. So with that, let's dive into Psalm 1. And, and a couple of quick reminders here, even as we dive in. This, it says, blessed is the man. This could also be translated as the Christian Standard Bible or the New International Version, due to blessed one. All these are right. The, the man is how it is picking up that, that whole collective language. It's picking up mankind language, and it just runs with that using the, the masculine pronouns that would have been there in the original language. That's all. It addresses both you brothers and you sisters. It addresses us individually and collectively. So hear from the word of the Lord. Hear Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, 
but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let's go to our Father this morning, prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this song. Father, we pray, Lord, as we spend time dwelling upon it, Lord, that you would do your work in our hearts. Father, Lord, we also recognize we are not the only church gathered this morning. Churches have gathered already all over the world and are even gathering now and will soon gather on, on the mountain in the Pacific coast. Father, Lord, we want to pray in particular this morning for our sister church, Marshall Creek Baptist Church, who is unable to gather this morning due to ongoing COVID issues. Father, Lord, we, we pray for their pastor, Matt Robbins, Lord, as he navigates those waters and, and tries to love and care for his church well. Father, Lord, we pray for those affected by this uh, wicked virus, Lord, this virus that is, is just devastated so many families this year. Father, Lord, we, we pray that you will heal them. We pray that you will help them to recover quickly and efficiently. That they would not have any lasting, lingering symptoms of this disease. God, and, and along those lines, we, we not only want to pray for our sister church here, we want to pray for those in the health uh, care profession here in our city. Lord, we want to pray for those doctors and nurses who are on the front lines and just seeing it uh, day in and day out. They're tired, they're weary. They've had to work long hours and even days they thought they would have off would, or no, not there. So Father, Lord, I pray for them. I pray that you would strengthen them and sustain them. Lord, help them to continue to stay sharp while they work and give them the energy they need, Lord, just to get by. Lord, help them to do their jobs efficiently. And Lord, help our community, Lord, to continue to, to reach out and to thank them for the work that they do, for being at the front line of this ongoing battle with COVID-19. God, thank you for these workers and all they do. God, we also want to take a moment and just praise you for the work that you've been doing around the world this year. Lord, and through the work of the International Mission Board, Lord, you have uh, brought 89,325 new believers to yourself around the world. Father, praise your name for bringing this many people to yourself. Lord, and we praise you for the 12,368 new churches that were planted around the world in these difficult places. Father, you are showing that you were still at work, even when it seems is there really things still being done in the midst of this pandemic, where you have still been at work, you have still been using it to draw many to yourself, and God, we just praise you for that. God, we pray uh, not only for these new churches and new believers to grow in maturity and to stand firm in their faith, where we return and then pray the same thing for us this morning as we gather to hear your word preached and proclaimed. 
Lord, help me to speak what it is you have called me to, what it is you have shown in the text. And Lord, I pray that your word would go forth and enter the ears and the hearts of everyone listening this morning. May their hearts be stirred and drawn to love you more, Father. Would you do this work as only you can? Father, to your name be the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. As we enter Psalm 1, I, I want us to look here. This, this idea of blessed is the man. What, what does it mean, blessed is the man? There's two, two Hebrew words, Asher, which is, is here in Psalm 1, and there's Barkat. Both of these mean blessed, but, but in particular, this Asher, which is, is the name Asher given to, to one of Jacob's 12 sons, is, is this idea of happy blessedness. That's the kind of blessedness we're talking about. Charles Spurgeon, Prince of Creatures, noted it this way. He said, we might read it, oh, the blessedness, and we may well regard it as Angler does, as a joyful acclamation of the gracious man's felicity. That's how Spurgeon describes this verse and the blessedness being described here. So, as we navigate through Psalm 1, we want to see how do we live as the blessed ones? How do we live with this joyous blessing in our lives and to be a blessing afterwards? So, through Psalm 1, we see three comparisons. There are one and two. You see what the blessed man doesn't do. He doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. He doesn't stand in the way of sinners. He doesn't sit in the seat of scoffers. And then the comparison says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates. So that's the first comparison here. Three and four, it compares he, the blessed one, is like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. On the other hand, the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. That's the second set of comparisons. And then five and six, therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor the sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So that's kind of how this psalm is broken up. And that's exactly kind of how we're going to walk through this sermon. So point number one, three points. The blessed delights in the law of the Lord. Point number two, the blessed flourish as a tree by the water. And point number three, the blessed stand in the day of judgment. And all of this is summed up this way. True blessedness is found by delighting in the law of the Lord. For in it one flourishes and stands in the day of judgment. True blessedness is found by delighting in the law of the Lord. For in it one flourishes and stands in the day of judgment. So let's dive in. Let's look here at the blessedness. So, first, let's dive into what this blessed one doesn't do. The blessed man doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffers. All three of these are interacting. It, it's all a way of neglecting God, of denying God in his teachings, his law. So they're all three interchangeable. They're all three related on this note. But they're separate at the same time. So what does it mean to 
Well, to understand the counsel of the wicked, we must understand what true godly counsel is, what true godly wisdom is. Proverbs 1 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, despite or fools despite wisdom and instruction. So that's true knowledge, that's true wisdom. It starts with a fear of God. The counsel of the wicked is the very opposite of this. It denies God. It starts with man instead of God. Sometimes this is very easily recognizable. We, we would say that as Christians that it's easy to recognize that counsel of the wicked is something like that of abortion. Something along the lines of marriage outside of one man and one woman. We, we would say that it is recognizable. But even more dangerous is the subtle ways this counsel often is. This kind of, of counsel leads us astray. It's a false wisdom. It, it's along the lines of 1 Corinthians where you have those following different teachers and saying, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos. And yet, this wisdom led them astray and Paul had to rebuke them. Or, or the wisdom of saying that we're going to extend grace to, to this great sinner, a sinner who had sexual relations with his stepmother there in 1 Corinthians 5. And Paul said, no, cast him out of your midst. These are the, the ways that this false counsel and teaching seep in. What about the churches that try to model how they function off a business model? It works in the business world, so we should bring it into the church. How does this counsel line with what God has said? You see, it's not always so very cut and dry. This, this wicked counsel comes in in ways we do not expect or often want to acknowledge because we, one, don't know the word of God, but two, we want to go off feelings, our emotions, or what we think, instead of starting with God. I want you to ask yourself something this morning. How many of you have based decisions and given counsel based off your experience or the way you feel? Think about it for a moment. How many have either given or received counsel based on those feelings, based on those experiential Things. How wise is that? Do not those feelings lead us astray? Do not those experiences often test us what is true godliness and wisdom? Brothers and sisters, this is how the counsel of the wicked works. It takes things that we think and feel good, but they lead us astray because we, we're not guided by God. We're guided by sinful desires within the very depth of our hearts. The blessed one does not walk in this counsel. He starts with fear of God in true wisdom and true knowledge. But the blessed one also, he does not stand in the way of sinners. To stand in the way of sinners is, is to remain in the path of sin and the way of sinners. It's just standing there while, while everyone else is running and, and going astray in sin. It's not turning from sin. It's just like pausing, okay, I, I've sinned, I can't move forward, I can't move backward, I can't move because I'm afraid I'll sin. This is the idea here. 
It is standing, it's dwelling. It, in Proverbs, it uses this language of walking in the counsel of the Lord over and over again. It tells us to not turn to the right, to not turn to the left, or we'll go astray. Imagine some of the curvy roads around here and the ditches on the side. You go to the right or the left, we're in the ditch. The same is true in our faith. We must keep watch of where we're dwelling, of the path we're walking on. And the place we don't do is stand there in the midst of chaos. Could you imagine going to stand on Interstate 55 or 57 in the middle of it? Some of you have, have had jobs where you're, you're on those side of roads. You know the crazy drivers out there. Are you going to dare stand there in the midst of that? Then why do we stand as well in the midst of a way of sinners? Now, let me give a clarification what this doesn't mean. This doesn't mean that we stop going and befriending our neighbors who are lost. No, we go to them all the more. This is not saying we do not have relationships with the lost and with sinners. If, if you think of this, you've missed even what Christ himself came to do. Did Christ himself not come and have meals with sinners? Did the Pharisees and Sadducees not accuse him of having and spending time with sinners? Look here, Matthew 9, or listen as I read Matthew 9, 10 through 13. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, of course, Jesus here is mocking these Pharisees and Sadducees. It's like, do you not see your sinners too? You just covered up with religiosity. You, you covered up by saying we're not going to associate with the low and protect ourselves. But instead, they cocoon themselves in and don't have people investing in their lives to speak truth against them. What's the danger of us? Too many churches, in fact, I think the greatest danger of American evangelicalism is in the church we cocoon ourselves. We have all these programs. We, we fill ourselves with activity after activity, but we miss time to invest in people outside the church. Brothers and sisters, we can have event after event, day in and day out, post-COVID, and that's not what's going to draw people to Christ. What's going to draw people to Christ is us going, living actively in the world around us, in the midst of those that are sinners who desperately need the gospel. My guess is, if you're sitting here today as a Christian, you didn't just happen to wander in. Somebody either invited you into the church, or, or some God worked through some means of somebody declaring the gospel to you and, and causing you to begin to consider these. God sends people out, as we're going to even see when we enter Jonah in January. God sends us out to declare his message. So to stand in the way of sinners is not saying we don't associate with sinners. It means we don't remain in the way we were. We change. We turn from those ways 
and seek the paths of God. And those paths change the direction of how we live. We don't just stand there. We do something. We go out. We follow God. We don't remain in sin. Next, thirdly, is that the blessed man does not sit in the seat of scoffers. To sit in the seat of scoffers is those who mock, those who, who accuse God falsely, those that make fun. In Proverbs 19 through 25, through, or Proverbs 19, verse 25 through 29, it says this, Strike a scoffer, the simple will learn prudence. Reprove a man of understanding, and he will gain knowledge. He who does violence to his father and chases away his mother is a son who brings shame and reproach. Cease to hear instruction, my son, and you will stray from the words of knowledge. A worthless witness mocks at justice, and the mouth of the wicked devours iniquity. Condemnation is ready for scoffers and beating for the facts. Scoffers do not like to be reproved. Brothers and sisters, what about us? Are we willing to have others speak into our lives to call us out on sin, to challenge us where we're off, so that we can grow in godliness? Are we going to be as the Pharisees and Sadducees and accuse the first time we chat? Spurgeon says this on the scoffer. It is very near the gates of hell. To sit as a scoffer, to, to refuse to be rebuked and taught, to be instructed and admonished, we sit high, but it's very near the gates of hell. To sit in the seat of scoffers is to refuse those things. The blessed one does not do it. Blessed one does not do these things. These are the very opposite of the blessed one. So what does the blessed one do? That his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. What about us? The, to, to dwell in and to delight in the law of God is not to simply say, oh yeah, I, I affirm God's word, so I'm going to just read it. Okay, we're done. No, to delight, thinking about it, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water. Brothers and sisters, if we delight in this law, it should move us. It should cause our hearts to rejoice because we hear from the living. For the psalmist, most likely David, there would have been five books of the law. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That would have been the law. That would have been all the known Bible. Here we are with 66 parts of a story of redemption, of where God's love has come down for us to rescue sinners such as us. Should we not delight in this law? Should we not soak in it? Here we're about to, to enter into 2021. This is the last Sunday of 2020. Thank God. <laughs> it's been a hard year. And yet, you know, many good things have happened. But as we think about the new year, as we think about 2021, I want to encourage.
individually and, and collectively, corporately. Take time this year and read through the whole of the Bible. <coughs> there, there's so many good reading plans out there. And, and a couple of apps. If you have a smartphone, which I know most of you are already on the internet because I see you on Facebook, spend some time and look up the ESV Bible app or version Bible app. Both of these have a, a large range of reading plans to take us through the whole of the Bible. If you struggle like so many in the Old Testament, find a reading plan that takes you both through the Old Testament and New Testament at the same time. Don't get lost in the weeds of Leviticus and Numbers and stumble. Partner it with reading in the New Testament or the Psalms so that you can press onward. But read through the whole. See how God speaks. And begin to delight in it. To cherish God's word. This is God speaking to us. We want to hear from God, and yet we don't open our Bibles. We don't open his law that has been given. The whole of the Bible is to speak to us, to instruct us, to teach us. This is what Paul writes in 2 Timothy 3, 6, 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let us dive into the word of God. Let it teach us and instruct us. One of the best ways we can do this is by making time to read the Bible. Now, just some practical, helpful advice. If, if you've never been good about sitting and finding your quiet time, pick a time of day and stick to it. For me, it's about 5, 5.15 in the morning. I, I have to get up and do it again or it will never happen. I get up, fix my cup of coffee, and I sit down and open the Word while it's still quiet in the house. If you're not a morning person, that's okay. Pick a time in the evening that works for you. Pick a time during your lunch break or midday if you've got the luxury. Pick a time that works for you. It doesn't have to look just like mine. But find time to regularly sit down consistently in that time frame and get in the Word until the Word gets in you. Spend time dwelling upon the Word. But don't only dwell upon it. Meditate. Dwell upon it. Think about it as you go through your day. This is, is the biggest, one of the two biggest reasons I do mine in the morning. One, you can ask Darcy afterwards. I fall asleep about 8, 8.30 on the couch almost every night. I can't stay awake at that point. But me to do a Bible reading plan is terrible. I'm an old soul. I always have been. But the other reason, because as I read it in the morning, I dwell upon that as I go throughout the day. It doesn't have to be much. It doesn't have to be complicated. You don't even need to understand every aspect of it. But to meditate is, is to pick one thing. So, so if I'm, I'm meditating on Psalm 1, if, if it's January 1 and I'm reading Psalm 1 in my reading, it's, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Okay, we've already talked about the counsel of the wicked. Man, what ways am I walking in counsel that's probably the what ways am I sitting here walking contrary to the way of God? I'm 
what does God told me of wisdom and counsel? To, to have any wise counselors around? And oh, okay. I think about those just little thoughts as I go throughout the day. I don't have to understand every detail, but to meditate it is thinking about those little parts, taking one theme and what you bread and thinking about it, dwelling upon it, making you think about God. To fail to meditate is not effective reading. We can read and just close up and never dwell. But to meditate day and night is what causes our heart to begin to work. Because God kept working there, showing us himself. He, he's doing that work, causing us to, to dwell on his word. And that word begins to work in us, causing us to grow. This is what it means to delight in the law of God. Let it become such a delight for us that we enjoy spending time with our Heavenly Father. Let us enjoy opening up His Word. Make that a priority, Christians. Make that a priority. Second point. Blessed, the blessed flourish of a tree by water. Why is Bible reading so important? Why is delighting in the law of God so important? It's right here. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruits in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Brothers and sisters, we cannot flourish in our Christian walks apart from the light of the law of God. Because it's this law that guides us. It's this law that shapes our lives and how we live out our Christian discipleship. If we do not, are not shaped in dwelling upon the Word, if we're not delighting in the Word, if we're not meditating on the Word, then we will not flourish. Bible reading is not a guarantee to godliness, but you sure can't get there without it. Bible reading is not a surety to godliness, but you sure can't get there without it. Because as the Word works in us, it causes us to Grow. It shapes us. It renews our mind. It renews our things. thinking. It renews how we walk. Get in the Word and let that Word nurture your soul. You're not going to go many meals without eating, are you? Then why are we going to miss the very thing that nourishes our souls? The Word of God nourishes us in Christ that we may go upward to the Lord. That's how valuable this is. And it says, it builds fruit, yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf doesn't wither. That means it's not going to go away. We look at the trees right now, they're all gone because winter has come. But a tree planted by water is going to be constantly nourished. So, same with the Word. The Word is going to constantly nourish and cause us to constantly have fruit and to yield that fruit, to flourish in that. It's not going to fade. It's not going to be blown away. Not so for those that are wicked, that do not delight in God's law. It says there in five, or verse 4, The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Growing up in, in, as a teenager in the summer, I would bell hay on our family farm. As we would bell hay, we would collect those hay bells, toss them up on that wagon, and then have to take the, those bells of hay and put them up in the barn. But what was left was the chaff.
use for animals to feed, to nourish them. The wicked will be long away for nothing. And the blessed flourish because they delight in the law of God that nurtures their souls. Next, our third and final point this morning. The blessed stand in the day of judgment. So, as we look here, it says in verse 5, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. What is this, the congregation of the righteous? Aren't we all wicked? Aren't we all sinners? Oh, yes. What this is talking about, though, is those that have rejected the law of God. And how do you reject the law of God? You don't turn to the one he has sent to rescue us from the law. As we delight in the law, as we meditate on the law, we see ourselves rightly. We measure ourselves rightly and say, this law is good. I don't measure up. I'm broken because I fall short of this law, of God's glory. And as we see that, as we rightly look at ourselves in the mirror of the law, I'm desperate. I need a Savior. I need rescue. This is what drives us to Christ, the one who came to fulfill the law. The very first sermon I preached in this church, when the Lord graciously called us here. Christ came to fulfill that law. He fulfilled that law for us. So that we could see our need in Him as we fell short of the law. And then as He fulfilled the law, then we rest in Him and become the congregation of the righteous. Not our righteousness, but His. As He was nailed to the cross for our transgressions. As our sin, He carried washing away our crimson stains, making us white as snow. That's the congregation of the righteous. And the only ones that stand are those that see themselves rightly according to law, and that is sinners and broken, and then they turn to Jesus. Brothers and sisters, be encouraged in that, that we stand as righteous because of Christ. And may we rejoice but the wicked are not so. They will not stand in the day of judgment. If you're here this morning or, or watching via Facebook Live and you do not know the gospel, you do not believe yet in Christ, hear the warning. Because death will come, you will perish, and you will not have eternal life. The warning, though, is to serve its purpose in calling you to repent, even now. To turn from your sin and turn to the one who fulfilled the law in Christ. This is the goodness of the gospel. It's glorious good news. The hope for the world around us is that there's still time as long as today is called today. Because today is the day of salvation. Repent and turn. And yet for us, we can know with certainty we will stand. Those of us who are in Christ know that we will stand in the midst of that church. Why? Because the Son of God died and rose again, defeating death for us. 
He makes it possible that we stay. So how do we see that truly happy and blessed life? It's in Christ, in Christ alone. We see our need for Christ as we continue to dive into him. And then we're shaped by who Christ is as he works through his work into our hearts, changing us, transforming us. Central City Baptist Church, as we go throughout this as we enter 2021, let us be a people that regularly get in the world so that the word can get into us, that we can know our God and all that he's done for us to save us from our sins. Let us be shaped by the world and let us meditate on it, dwell upon it, so that we can continue to grow in love for our God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for who you are and all that you've done for us in Christ. God, I, I pray, oh Lord, for you to be at work in us through your word this week. God, I pray that we would have a desire to, to open your word, to get into it. Father, I pray that we would uh, be shaped by that word. And God, Lord, I pray that we can walk in wise counsel that is of you. That we would not stand 